In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The writer of uh, the Gospel of Luke is also the writer of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke and Acts. But they would probably more appropriately be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because these two books show how God's circle of grace widens further and further and further to include everyone. It starts out with the Jews in Jerusalem, goes to the Jews in Judea, goes to the Greek-speaking Jews, and then the big one, what about the Gentiles? Yeah, they're in too. In today's Gospel lesson, that story and that inclusiveness goes even further. It is even to people who normally folks would think are not very good candidates for the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking to the tax collectors and sinners. We don't know what kind of sins they were doing, but they were well-known public sinners of some kind. So he's talking to the tax collectors and sinners. He's teaching them, and they're listening intently. And the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders are standing around, and they're grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes tax collectors and sinners and, and even eats with them. Ooh, what's next? Even eats with them. And they just don't think that this is right, because they believe that if you're trying to be a godly person, you should hang around with godly people. You know, and, and there may, may be something to this, because probably when you were a kid, your parents told you, you know, if you run around with trash, you're going to become trash. Did anybody hear that? Or my dad's version was, it's hard to soar with eagles when you run with turkeys. His other, his other version was, you can't walk around out in the pasture for too long without getting a little something on your boots. So watch where you are and watch who you're doing it with. And so maybe, there, you know, maybe that was the thought. But the thing they did not realize is that Jesus, as the Son of God, was not going to be influenced by their bad behavior. He was going to influence them with his good behavior. He was in no danger. But they could get benefit from his associating with them. And so then he told them these parables. There's actually three of them. Only two of them were read today because <laughs> it's too long. But uh, the third one belongs in there. It's the parable of the lost sheep the parable of the lost coins that Andrea talked about, uh, the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons, otherwise known as the, the parable of the prodigal son. But it's more correctly would be labeled the parable of the forgiving father and two lost sons. So Jesus tells these parables, and they all have the same point to them. The point being that the Lord God likes to seek and to save anybody who is lost. It's the people who are in trouble that he came for. So uh, this is my favorite limerick. I've told you this one before, but it's so good it bears repeating. Here's the limerick that goes along with Jesus' attitude. A doctor fell into a well and broke his collarbone. The doctor should attend the sick and leave the well alone. That's what Jesus does. He attends the sick and leaves the well alone. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who you know, are so righteous they don't need anything. God's excited about that. And so then the three stories. A shepherd who loses uh, uh, one sheep. And this, this was kind of a jab at the religious leaders. You, you may not know this unless you know the background, but they thought that shepherds were, were, didn't attend temple very regularly and were kind of dirty. And so Jesus says, which of you losing a hundred sheep? Well, what do you mean? I'm a shepherd? That's kind of a, kind of a slap in the face. And uh, you, you lose one, you go out and you find it, and then you carry it back. Sheep are so... 
uh, so nervous and intimidated when they're by themselves. They're such a herd animal that you have to actually carry them back because they can't walk on their own. They get too petrified. And then the woman with the coins. She loses one little coin, a little silver coin, a little drachma, which is not worth very much. And she sweeps the house and searches high and low. She finds it. And then she throws a party, as Andrew said, which is really pretty extravagant because the little drachma <laughs> probably is not worth a, a party. You know, the party probably cost more than the, the coin was worth by far. But that shows how, how, how invested God is in seeking and saving us, the lost. And then the third one, this is my favorite parable, by the way, so I'm pretty excited that this shows up every three years. Um, the parable of the forgiving father and two lost sons. It starts out with a bang. The younger son comes to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance that belongs to me. Well, that's a slap in the face right off the bat because the inheritance doesn't go to you till the old man is dead. And actually what he is saying is, Dad, I wish you'd drop dead right now. The father should have boxed his ears and sent them out in the field and said, forget it. But he doesn't. He grants the son's request. He gives him the inheritance. And then he has to liquidate that. He may have even sold land that should have never gone outside the family. If you're a farm family, you understand this. So he liquidates. He goes to a far-off country. And there, it says, he wastes his inheritance with riotous living or dissolute living. We don't know what that all includes. But my hunch is it sounds a lot like wine, women's song, and gambling. So he's out there. And he wastes his inheritance. But then when the money's gone, oddly enough, so are his friends. Now there's a, a big famine in the country, and he's left looking for any kind of work. And he finally finds work with some citizen of that country who is obviously a Gentile because he has pigs. And he sends him out to feed pigs, which for a young Jewish boy, you know, pigs are an unclean animal, according to Levitical law. So, it, can it get any worse than this? He's feeding pigs. Yes, it can. He's not only feeding pigs, he's eating the same pods the pigs were eating. He might as well put his face down in the trough and eat with them. And finally, he comes to himself and says, What am I doing here? My father's servants have bread enough and to spare. They're living the high life. And here I am perishing with hunger. I've got it. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, well, uh, Dad, I, I know I'm not worthy to be a son. Just make me one of the hired men and I'll go live in the bunkhouse with the boys. Yeah, that's his new dumb life plan. It doesn't show any repentance. It's just a newer, dumber life plan of how he's going to salvage his own false pride and go live in the bunkhouse. So he goes back. And while he was yet afar off, our text says, the father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran out to meet him, ran with his robes flapping and his underwear showing in a most undignified manner in a, in a demonstration of costly love and runs out and the young man is about to trot out his new dumb life plan. Father, I have sinned. And he puts his arms around his neck and, and forget it. You know, Bring forth a robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Kill the fatted calf. Start the party. And then the elder son hears the commotion. Most likely, 
he hears the drums start in the music for the men's stick dance. And he goes, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so, you know, we're killing the fatted calf. The party begins. And the elder son says, oh, I don't think so. A little twerp fritters away half the farm, and now he gets a party. So his dad has to come out again, a second time, to a second son. A son has refused an invitation, which is a definite slap in the face in that culture as well. Now they've both slapped him in the face. I wish you'd drop over dead. I'm not coming in. He comes out again, and he implores him to come in. And the elder son said, well... I hear I have slaved for you all of these years, and you never even gave me a little goat to have a small party. And then this, this son of yours, you see he doesn't even say my brother, this son of yours comes home after blowing a wad on prostitutes, and you throw him a big party. And the father said, well, we had to rejoice because your, your brother was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then we have a freeze frame, and we don't know what the elder son did. If he goes in, or if he continues to take his ball and go home and pout, we don't know what he does at this point. But the point uh, that Jesus is making is that, again, there is more joy over one sinner who repents than over all the righteous who don't need it. These sons, they don't really repent. And people have tried to say, well, repentance always comes before God's grace. Well, not according to these stories. God's grace is there before there's ever any repentance. The sheep doesn't repent. He just stands there and is lost. The coin can't repent. It just is laying there lost. And the two boys don't repent. The, the younger son has his crazy life plan. I'll just be a hired man. That's not repentance. And the elder son, I've been a slave. Well, what, you're not a son either? A hired man and a slave? Ah. So, God comes to them as He comes to us. And He's always seeking and saving when we're taking a dirt road somewhere. And who doesn't need that? I talked to a woman in the hospital a number of years ago, and she was telling me that her, well, her sister had died, and that child, her niece, was a grown young woman, but she was really taking a bad road and she was frustrated that she couldn't make her see the light she was working in a place uh, let me put it this way that was mostly cheap entertainment for men uh, if you catch my drift and uh, she said I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do she, did, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't listen to me I, I don't know what to do and with tears in her eyes, she looked up and she said, Yes, I do know what I'm going to do. I am going to go back to her again, and I am going to tell her I love her, and I'm going to tell her I'm not going to let her waste her life, and giving up is not an option. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's the Lord God. Giving up on us is not an option. And sometimes God's grace is so overwhelming, so surprising, that it does make us turn around and go a different way, which is what the word repent means, to turn around. 
And I, I heard a story on NPR radio a while back about a young social worker in New York City named Julio Diaz. And he was out one night, and a, and a young man came up and st stuck a knife towards him and said, give me your wallet. So he gave him his wallet, and as the young man was about to turn and go, he said, here, wait a minute, wait a minute. You better take my coat, too. It's pretty cold out tonight. And he said, what's the matter with you? And the guy said, well, if, you know, if you're, if you're so destitute that you're willing to face losing your freedom for a few bucks, you ought to at least have a warm coat for a little bit. And he stopped in his tracks. He said, I, I would like to take you to supper. And the young man was so stunned that he went. And they sat, he talked to the waitress and the, the dishwasher and the owner and so forth. And, he said, All of them. And, he, and the kid says, what, do you own this place or something? He says, no. Didn't anybody ever teach you to be nice to people? He said, well, I've heard of it, but I never saw it before. And he said, uh, you know, I'd like to pay for your supper, but you know, you got my wallet. So... He gave him his wallet, and he paid for the supper, and he gave him $20, and he said, Now, I, I want something from you. And the young man put the knife in his hand, and they walked out together. Sometimes grace is so astonishing and so overwhelming that people cannot help themselves but just turn around and praise God. So why does your teacher sit with tax collectors and sinners and eats with them? Because they need it and because that's who our God is. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.